Our gospel reading this morning is Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And we are going to look here first at some people who believed that there was enough to go around of what Jesus was doing, even though there was plenty of crowding in the area. They had a friend in need, and they were willing to do what it took to bring him to Jesus. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for all that you have made. God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us, for the uh, constant reminders we have in your word of who you are and how you work with your people, your promises to be with us in everything, and your invitation to trust you and to follow you. Lord, we know that uh, your ways are not our ways. We also know that your ways are better. But we often don't act like we believe that. Lord, remind us this morning of your ways. Help us to believe that your ways are better. And as we go from here, help us to walk with you and to trust you as we follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Good question. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Turning then to 2 Corinthians, our New Testament reading, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. As Paul writes to the church in Corinth, saying, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit 
gives life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are continuing our series in the book of Genesis. And uh, once again, we have a strange little incident uh, between a guy named Jacob and uh, his father-in-law. We're going to get some more details on that next week, but we're going to get this, this little bit of insight into their relationship, as well as the relationship that Jacob has with uh, his wives, plural. We've discussed this in the past, not to be copied, but this is part of the breakdown that was happening there. And, um, and his wives who are... Um, Laban's daughter. So we have Jacob and his father-in-law Laban, the breakdown there. We have the daughters, and we're going to see some relational breakdown there. And, uh, and then also see the relationship between these people and God himself. This is what we're looking at this morning um, in uh, Genesis chapter 31, verses 1 through 21. And um, before we get into Jacob's story, I want to tell you a little bit about my own story. And that is, uh, some of you know some of my story, some of you maybe not so much. And so you see me up here as a minister of the word, and I'm preaching, and you think, oh, that must be how he's just always been. I can assure you that is not the case. And if you have heard some of the stories from my younger days, then you still might assume it was, you know, Pretty clean break from those days to today, and now all is perfect. I will correct that as well. So here's a bit of my story. I did feel uh, that I was called into ministry from a very young age, and then I set about doing everything I could to sabotage that. (laughs) And so, not necessarily intentionally, but that's what I was doing. And so, as I go along through school, if I were I was going to be a Presbyterian minister. I was going to need a master's degree, a master of divinity degree kind of thing, from a theological seminary. So college degree and then on for graduate school. And yet, my senior year of high school, not only were my grades um, less than stellar, but when it came time for finding what college to go to, I put in all the effort I could in not looking for a college. I didn't look for any. I didn't apply to any. And then the day came when I thought to myself, I should probably look into this. And so I did, and I found out I'd missed all the deadlines. And I thought, huh, well, that's not good. Oh, well, guess I'm not going to school. And that's pretty much the end of it. Um, That is not the end of the story. As it turns out, I then had a school contact me and say, hey, we will give you a full ride if you will come here. Okay, I guess that means I'll go. And so I did, and I went, and I lost that scholarship as fast as is absolutely, absolutely possible to do. It was one where you had to maintain a certain grade point, and um, it was not a high bar to hit, and I was well, well under that bar. And so by the end of my first year, I was on, I had lost my scholarship. I was on academic probation. I had to now get a certain grade point just to stay in school. 
this, this is part of my story. <laughs> this is where, kind of how I get to here. And I, I tell this part of the story because while things did turn around and I ended up graduating college, going on to the seminary, uh, getting the degrees, etc., I think it's important to know this part of the story. And I tell this part of the story because as I look back on how I got from where I was to where I am, I see there were things that I was doing along the way. Some of those were more helpful, and a lot of those were less helpful. (laughs) But I also see God's hand at work through all of it. And my story is not your story. I'm sure you have your own story. As you look back and you can see the things that you have done that maybe have been more or less helpful, and you can also look back and see the, way, the ways in which God has been involved in your life, even bringing you to this point. One of the things that I have been uh, noting as we have been going through Genesis together, and I've been having conversations with people, and we're hearing, uh, hearing responses to some of the stories we're hearing, I'm noticing that uh, it seems somewhat surprising to people to notice again and again that the people in the Bible are people like us. And I find that really sad. That we haven't noticed that they're people like us because we see them as Bible people. And so um, we find them maybe to a degree unrelatable. And I think part of the problem there is that we've heard cleaned up stories where we only hear the parts where they got it right, and we don't hear the parts about the messes in their lives and the problems, the struggles they're dealing with. We don't hear the parts where they contributed to those messes and struggles. And because we don't hear of the messes in their lives, the ways that they may be contributed to those, we think this doesn't have anything to do with me or my world. And then we actually start reading through what the Bible is actually presenting to us about these people. And it's almost like it goes out of its way to show us not all the good stuff, but all the stuff, the messed up stuff, the ways they got it wrong. And yet, the story it's telling is how God has been faithful even in the midst of all of this and is still working in their lives even through this. And so uh, I find the Bible very relatable when you read the actual Bible and not just a cleaned up version of it. What we're going to look at this morning is not going to be my story. It's not going to be your story. This is going to be Jacob's story. It's going to be the ways in which he has his own story to tell of the ways in which he didn't necessarily get everything right. And yet we see God still at work in his life and in the life of his family. This is Genesis chapter 31, verses 1 through 21. As Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude toward me is not what it was before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. 
If he said the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted, for I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Then Rachel and Leah replied, do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you. Then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels, and he drove all his livestock ahead of him along with all the goods he had accumulated in Padan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all he had, crossed the Euphrates River, and headed for the hill country of Gilead. All right. This is the relational situation that's going on. You have um, Jacob who has been working for Laban, his father-in-law. He worked, if you remember, seven years in order to marry one of his daughters, and then Laban swapped daughters on him, (laughs) married him to the wrong one, and then said, well, I'll give you the other one too for another seven years of work, which he did. And then he said, okay, now that I've done that, here uh, Laban said, well, what can I give you? And he said, okay, tell you what, streaked the spotted, the, you know, those kinds of sheep and goats, those will be mine. That'll be my wages. And so he does. And so he's now worked for him an additional like six years. And during this time, things have gone well for Jacob. And we looked last week at how during that whole season, Laban was doing everything he could to cheat Jacob out of whatever he could, and Jacob was doing everything he could to cheat Laban out of whatever he could. Good relationship, right? Not so good. And so that's where we pick up the story, is that uh, Laban's sons are looking at this situation and saying, okay, we're supposed to inherit what is going to come from our father when he dies. However, we see the way that this is going is everything that was our father's has slowly over the years been kind of shifting over to Jacob. And so now, you know, if this keeps going this way, by the time our dad dies, he's not going to have anything left. And there will be nothing for us. It'll all be Jacob's. And so they are uh, not happy with this. It's where it began. Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what what belonged to our father. And once again, what we see with Jacob is here he is, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, this family that is supposed to be bringing God's blessing into the world everywhere they go. And do you notice that what we have seen with Jacob so far is in his own family? He uh, got his brother's birthright, which he bought for a bowl of soup, and then he stole his brother's blessing and his brother was so mad at him he was planning on killing him and so he had to run away and then when he gets to the new place what we've seen is he's 
spent a good amount of time there, but what, he, what he's been doing is still scheming and still trying to cheat his family members. Now it's a new family, but it's the same Jacob. <laughs> still trying to cheat his family to the point that now this family is upset with him and wanting to, oh, I don't know, solve this problem somehow. <laughs> and so he needs to go away again. This doesn't look good. It doesn't seem like he's bringing the blessing of God everywhere he goes. Instead, it seems that everywhere he goes, he's kind of leaving a trail of broken relationships. This is not the end of Jacob's story. We'll continue to follow his story along. But as, uh, as this is where he is, God comes to him and says, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. This is echoing several things we've heard earlier in Genesis. But it's interesting to me that when God first called to Abraham, Abram at the time, he told him to leave his father's household, to leave his family. And now Jacob is actually being told to go back to his family. When he gets this word to go back and God's promise again to be with him, he calls Rachel and Leah, his wives, together and kind of pitches the idea to them. All right, we're, we're going to go back. But here's the deal. Here's why. It's that your father's attitude towards me is not what it used to be. Yeah, I wonder why. But the way that Jacob looks at it is not because I've been cheating him as much as possible every chance I've gotten, but it's he recognizes that God has actually been blessing Jacob. But here's the thing. Uh, we watched that video on generosity earlier, and I really do think that there is, uh, that the way that God was blessing Jacob when he was with Laban could have been a means to bless everybody, not just Jacob. But Jacob doesn't see it that way. It is, it's a one or the other. Either I have or he has. And so this is why we see the brothers upset. This is why Laban's attitude has changed. Because as God is blessing Jacob, Jacob is seeing it as a blessing just for him. God does bless Jacob and has uh, promised to be with him. And then, and there is just that the whole way through, that no matter what Laban was doing, all the cheating he was doing, God continues to bless Jacob. And no matter what, scheming and cheating Jacob's doing. God continues to bless Jacob. And sometimes as you read the story, you're like, God, why are you doing this? <laughs> but it's because of the promises he's already made, even to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. And he's had this uh, promise to Jacob as well, to be with him, to bless him. But for what purpose? Well, when it's time now, for him to go back. Uh, it's time for him to go back to the land that he came from. And God reminds him. Says, in this dream, look up and see all the male goats mating with the flock that are streaked, speckled or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Do you remember when Jacob 
met with the God at Bethel. Jacob's the one who named it Bethel, meaning the house of God. It was when he ran away from home initially. In between uh, going from his home and coming to this new place. And at the time, we talked about how it was uh, Jacob's fault that he's on the run. And yet, God meets with him there and lets him know, I'm still with you. The blessing is still for you. And then we see this vow that Jacob has made. This is in chapter 28, the very end of the chapter. It says, And Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me the food to eat and clothes to wear so I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God, and the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that I give, all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. And we asked at the time, is this, is this a good thing that Jacob is doing here? Is the right response? Said, well, maybe not so much. On the other hand, God seems to accept it. And here again, he seems to accept it. Uh, that God is referencing this vow that you made. We said at the time, this was kind of a, a step in Jacob's life as he is taking another step towards trusting God. But there it was this, if then, if you will do these things for me, then I will follow you. Then uh, you will be my God. Then, as he says it, I just had it. Yeah, then the Lord will be my God. Anybody ever make that kind of a deal with God? If you'll just get me out of this particular problem I have made for myself. (laughs) If you'll just get me out this time, then I will follow through on the other end. Right? And God seems to have let Jacob say this. Okay, fine. I'm still going to bless you. <laughs> I'm not doing this because of your deal. I was, I'm doing this because I was already going to do this. But now God brings it back up. And I think the point here is he's saying, um, hey, remember? Remember that night? Remember what you said to me then? Look back over your life. I've done the things that you said if I would do this, I would be your God. Am I your God? I really think that's the question. That at this point in Jacob's life, after all that God has brought him through, after many ways that God has been faithful to him, the question is still hanging in the air. Am I your God? Or is Jacob still his own God? Is he still trying to scheme and uh, get his own in this world because he still doesn't trust God after all that God has shown him. And then we see his wives having a bitter attitude toward their father. I'm not going to go into the details of all that. But then when we get to the end of this section, it says, when Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. We'll talk more about that next week. And then it says, moreover, Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all he had. There's actually a Hebrew play on words happening here that I think is meaningful. They have an expression for what it means to deceive someone. And we don't say it this way, but maybe we ought to. So what it actually says here is that Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob stole Laban's heart by leaving without telling him he's running away. Rachel steals these uh, idols, and Jacob steals Laban's heart. 
I think one of the ways that we say that kind of thing in English today is stabbed him in the back. This was still family. This was uh, not only family. He's, it's close family. He's married to his daughters. He's working for him. They have a lot in common, and there should be a trust. But they've never really had a trust. And Jacob does not trust that if he goes to Laban and says, God has told me to leave, so we're leaving, <laughs> that Laban will respond well. And so instead, he just skips town. And the way that it says it, um, with that description of deceit, is he stole Laban's heart. This is not the kind of blessing he's supposed to be bringing to the world. And so here again, we are seeing, you know, not my story, not your story. This is Jacob's story. But it's not the end of his story either. But what we continue to see is Jacob continuing to deceive, continuing to scheme. And so at this point in the story, that question still hangs out there. Is God his God? We see God being faithful. We're not seeing that necessarily from Jacob at this point. But as we follow his story, the question hangs out there for us as well. Maybe you've made a deal like that with God in the past too, where you've said, if you'll just get me through this, then I will, whatever. Well, look back. Has God been faithful? What has he brought you through? How has he blessed you in all kinds of ways? It's Paul who says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then the question So is he your God? Or are we still trusting ourselves or someone or something else when we really get down to it? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.